0: Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Sunita Gudu, legacy consultant, trainer, coach, and producer of Legacy Fundraising Chat Podcast. We speak about why Sunita has focused her expertise on legacy giving, how she approaches donors when speaking about legacies, and how charities should start investing in legacy giving and go about getting buy-in from their boards and leadership. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. So without further ado, here is Sunita Gudu speaking with me about the Legacy Fundraising Chat. I'm delighted to be joined by Sunita Gudu, legacy consultant, trainer, coach, and host and producer of Legacy Fundraising Chat Podcast. Sunita, welcome to Charity Chats.
1: Thank you, Samuel, for inviting
0: me. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Maybe if we can start as we tend to do these days, the first question being, what has your career entailed and what's led you to become a legacy consultant among all these other things?
1: Sure. So it was actually a very easy decision for me. So 17 years ago when I came into the sector there there wasn't as much support as there is now and there certainly wasn't podcasting. I think the first podcast was probably released in 2004 and it definitely wasn't about fundraising. Right. Uh, so As I have kind of gone through, I guess, pretty much all streams of fundraising and then really found what I love, which is Legacies back in Mm -hmm. 2008. I just felt that there were so many fundraisers out there who were probably struggling as much as I did in the early days. Mm -hmm. And having worked for charities of all sizes, big, large media, I just thought that I could offer something in terms of being a very hands-on fundraiser, which I still am. I do mm-hmm. doing work. And also having been in front of boards and having to present legacy programs and plans and get sign-off on this stuff and realise, mm. actually, this is quite nerve-wracking. <laughs> You've never done it before. Yeah. Um, and I think not having, I guess, the hand-holding that, feel as fundraisers we really could do with because we wear so many hats and Mm -hmm. you know you'll really appreciate that Mm -hmm. that we just don't always have the time to to dedicate to our own learning and sometimes we don't know what we need to learn until we're thrown in a situation and we go actually this is a little bit tricky so um i guess that's why really i wanted to combine the fact that i love doing what i do but I also have this very strategic approach, which I felt would be really valuable for fundraisers.
0: What is it that you like about fundraising? What kind of at, at its core? I mean, have you always have you always enjoyed working with others, or, or kind of kind of are you a, are you a? Uh idealist are you looking to change the world What what is it that kind of drives your enthusiasm <laughs> yeah. for fundraising do you think?
1: like every keen person that's worked in the sector I think we've always wanted to be that savior haven't we in some respect hmm. I think there's a part of us that joins the the third sector to, to do that um, but I think I learned quite quickly that I'm not going to change the world but what I am going to do hopefully is make a little bit of a difference and be able to share what I've learned and for other people to apply that and hopefully mm. not make the, the mistakes that kind of I did. So, in answer to your question, what I love about fundraising, I guess for me, it's about people. It's mm. just about relationships. And I always say that you know the best thing about fundraising, as cheesy as I'm told this is, is the first bit is the fun. And yeah. it really should be an absolute joy. And for me, it is, and the moment it stops becoming a joy, I think that's the time when I probably need to step away. But whilst I absolutely love every aspect of fundraising, whether that be putting on an event, being in front of a pledger, whether that's putting a plan together, I, I just find so much pleasure and joy in knowing that my contribution is going to help somebody somewhere because effectively, we're trying to help people and animals and the planet, whatever that cause might be. And it's important that we always remember what the end result is, what we're trying to do, because it's not really about us. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the world is not orbiting around us as consultants. It really should be orbiting around those people that really need our support. And we're simply the vehicle that allows fundraisers to provide those donations so the world can be better. And I think someone else is going to change the world, (laughs) actually, as a result of the things that consultants like myself and fundraisers are doing.
0: I guess, I mean, I I suppose maybe it's just my perspective, but I guess it's partly being on the right side of, history on the right team you know it's, it's like you know there's a, a move being part of the movement for good again you know super cheesy but yeah. you know being I, I recognize what you're saying and, and it, it makes sense to me because similarly I suppose there was a time in my youth where I wondered whether I would be you know kind of like the famous you know or like do it or like kind of really well recognized for doing something amazing and I guess now I'm in my 40s I kind of think you know that's probably not the case, but I guess I get a lot of satisfaction from feeling most days that I'm part of the right thing, you know that i'm I'm trying to help charities, even and and the podcast is part of that, I guess mm-hmm. but, you know i'm I'm part of the right the right side, you know that's mm-hmm. that's trying to make a, a positive imp- a difference mm-hmm. to the world. so.
1: I think the other point is that we could be famous, but not actually making any difference to anyone's lives whatsoever. Uh, and actually we may not feel good about ourselves and we m- maybe nobody is actually benefiting from what we're doing. So I think it's not really about, that's certainly not about me, about anybody recognizing my name. Mm. It's really about, you know, actually I've been able to impart with something or helps a organization to enable them to do what they set out to do. And that will always be my drive.
0: See, you, you talked about kind of enjoying the fundraising, the fun part of fundraising, enjoying working with people. But I suppose for some of our listeners, fun might not be an easy word to associate with legacy giving. So what is it? I mean, I'm not suggesting you you find legacy giving fun. Maybe you do. What What is it that you? Why did you? Why did you go into that direction when it came to fundraising? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I so I started off in community fundraising. I did corporate. And I did more individual giving, and that's when I really got in front of people that were legacy pledges. Mm-hmm. And having had those conversations so early on in my career, I realized it's the most selfless thing anyone can do. Because for I mean, for these pledges, they were very much, you know, this is something that I've decided to do. And it's very private to me, I don't want to be recognized, I'm just telling you. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, there are pledges on the other side of the spectrum, who do want that recognition, that's totally fine. And and having had those conversations and realized that those people are doing the most extraordinary thing, and sometimes I think the best gifts are the ones where our absolute complete surprise. Now, my charity clients hate that because <laughs> um, they go, we don't know who these people are. Absolutely,
0: yeah, But then yeah. I get
1: them to think about, but look how much they cared about your organization, mm. that they didn't want you to know in terms of, they didn't want the kudos was attached to it. Because mm. everybody knows that when they do tell an organization, that information has to be recorded somewhere. It's yeah. not just going to sit in someone's head. And mm. they never wanted that. And And then to leave something to an organization and they not know, and never be thanked for that. Mm. Never be recognised for it. And and that's for me why legacies will always just be the most amazing gift. Um, and yeah. because any other gift that someone gives, yes, you can give it in, honestly in your lifetime as well. But you're actually kind of saying, "I've lived my life now," and because the distribution of a will, what's included in a will, mm. is basically a resonance of how someone's lived so, so what mm. they're saying is uh, I've got to this point now I've got I've done everything and this is how I want to share the end of my life and so I think that's it just feels like the most special gift and the more that I talk about it the 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 more that I just feel that really charity should embrace this because the more people that they can get front of and have these conversations, Mm. the more committed these donors will actually be. Um, And we find that so much with people that reveal themselves as pledges. They want to be more involved. And and that commitment, I mean, you just can't get it in any other way. It's just so easy to to stop your regular giving gift, isn't it, when Mm. things are a bit tight now. Yeah, but I think yeah. once somebody's included a charity in their will, yes, they can be taken out, but it's a lot harder, isn't it? Rather than just going into your online banking and go, <laughs> let's, uh, let's not give to that organization. It's something that's really well thought out.
0: And I guess there's, i mean i don't know if this is a common thing but i certainly remember i made a will not so long ago my first will actually and well done samuel thank you very much thank (laughs) you it was off the back of another charity chat conversation so after talking about legacies and things i felt i should you know kind of do what i'm talking about but i think the um i found it quite a um quite an emotional Mm. thing you know thinking about you know the future yeah. Um, when I've gone thinking about the family that I leave behind, I mean, there was, yeah. you know, it was a rollercoaster of emotion. And in, in the end, I felt quite at peace having mm. thought about it and having kind of, you know, um, thought through how our, you know, kind of child is going to be, you know, who's going to look mm. after him, if, you know, heaven forbid we we die, things like that. And I guess it's kind of there's almost a, kind of a cathartic feeling to it. I think mm. you know, and I mean, is that a common thing from the people that you completely? Talk to you? And yeah. that's often why people put off writing a will, mm.
1: and especially Samuel. You know, you've got a child, so there's that element of, of course, you don't want to think about the time when you may not be here for mm. them, mm. and yeah, yeah. and and it's it's a natural thing. Like everything that you experience as part of that journey is what you were supposed to experience Samuel Mm. because it's about your life and it's not something to be taken lightly at all Mm. but what's really nice to hear is the point where you said that you felt at peace and Mm. that's what a will should do it should make somebody feel as if right I really don't want this situation to happen at all in terms of because you're writing the will based on your scenario now aren't you not in Mm. 20 years time yeah and so you're going okay I really don't want this scenario to happen but if it does at least I know I have provided for those that were really important to me Mm. because what is the alternative had you not written your will yeah, is the yeah. confusion that it's left behind for mm. others, mm. Uh, and and I have this when I speak to executors and next of kin, and and often you know these children will say, "I don't know what my mum wanted. I don't mm. know what kind of service she wanted. She never talked about it. We never asked her." Yeah, And um, so 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 that's worse in mm. some respects, isn't it? And I, and I think if we look at it from that perspective. If there are people that are not clear about what they need to do, then we really need to write this down and make it easy for them because grief is hard, as we know, Samuel.
0: Really Absolutely. Hard. Absolutely. I, I guess when I think back to it as well, making that first will, I, I also kind of felt when I'd done that, that I think in a way it helped me think about taking stock of what I had, feeling um happy. You know, and recognizing Mm. what I had in terms of, I suppose, material things, but but mainly kind of family and things like that and Mm. friends and, you know, and all these kind of thoughts that you think about when you're making a will. And then I guess also it made me, it reaffirmed, I suppose, to an extent how I wanted to live the rest of my life. I know that sounds a big thing i i I don't think about that all the time but in that moment you know i kind of thought okay so this is what i i this is how i want to continue and i thought that was and again i don't know is that a typical thing that from your experience that kind of helps people think about how they want to live their life as well
1: yeah because there's that term isn't there getting your affairs in order and it's Mm. that thing of once i've done this I can now just get on with the rest of my life and just enjoy because otherwise it's always that thing that's sitting on your shoulder, isn't it? Mm, the the mm. will that's not done and, 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 and all the confusion that we've talked about. But I suppose also, you know, very culturally, there are many cultures that will talk very openly about the death and their mortality in order to normalise that. Because yeah. I think one of the things that we do forget is that it's inevitable. Mm. <laughs> it's gonna, so why not talk about this? It's gonna happen. And I'm not to legacy giving, but definitely within a family environment, mm. is so that everybody's really clear about actually, we, we know what we want to happen. And now we can just get on with living our life. And yeah. um, so culturally it, it can feel like a very good thing to, to, to do that.
0: And I guess that leads me on to a, a kind of question I've thought about, which is kind of how important is it for charities to really talk about donor mortality versus focusing on the impact of legacy giving in their kind of comms to potential um, legacy givers?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. And I would say we don't need to talk about anyone's mortality at all because mm-hmm. we know it's going to happen. Right. And I think one of the things that we need to be focusing on is it's not necessarily the will. Right? Mm. It Our job as fundraisers is to inspire supporters to give in a mm-hmm. When i talk to charities i'd say what you're trying to do is get your supporters closer to your organization so you know fundraisers fundraiser are f- familiar with the p- the donor pyramid mm-hmm. you've got supporters coming to you in various ways and then you've got the the legacy gift as the ultimate and final gift at the top mm-hmm. and that's kind of all where we're striving for as fundraisers but it's about choice and so you know when are this is why i'm really keen that legacy teams are not separated from community giving teams or corporate teams because it's all part of one ask. Uh, And sometimes I get asked to to give legacy talks on behalf of charities at their legacy events Mm. because they don't know how to deliver it. Mm. Um, They're scared of how to deliver it because they don't want to mention dying. And I don't mention dying at all because I could say it's going to happen. So when I talk about legacies, I mention it as another way of giving
0: right. so just
1: as a, a fundraiser talk about taking part in a marathon did you also know that people choose to leave a legacy to our organization people donated um, in memory of a loved one and mm. um, and so it's about then the donor deciding whether that's right for them yeah mm. Yeah, it's not about yeah. us trying to convince anybody that they should be leaving a legacy at all. Mm. And, and this is why the messaging, as we all know, in the sector has to be consistent. It has to be continual because it takes time for people to think about whether that's right for them. But it is always just about planting those seeds. So I never talk about death or mortality. I talk about how important giving is in general, and then I'll go into legacy gifts themselves and the difference that they've made, because mm-hmm. often they are very substantial and they can go further than a one off gift. So I think it's about showing impact and fundraisers really behind that, getting those stories together together. And that's the thing that's going to motivate supporters to want to update their will to include the charity, not the fear that they're going to die one day and they better do something about it.
0: Right. So (laughs) so led by hope rather than fear. Exactly,
1: exactly.
0: And so how should, I mean, you talked um, briefly about the fact that you're often asked to go and talk to boards um, Mm. of charities. How should charities be measuring expectations about legacy giving because obviously there's a there's a lead time isn't there on legacy giving potentially Mm. longer than any other type of giving maybe similar to major donors or probably even longer than that right so if they're if they're trying to measure expectations with the board while i suppose invigorating the leadership both in terms of the board but also maybe the ceo or the even the director of fundraising if this is an idea coming from a more junior fundraiser how how do you how do you kind of what what would you recommend to people that are trying to take this to their board and their senior leadership as an idea? We need to invest in this.
1: Sure, sure. And um, I've actually done a whole episode on this, and um, which I released episode 10. So if people want to listen to this in a bit more detail, they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a board the board is where it starts, really, isn't it, Samuel? So that's yeah. where he, the, the key is, because my experience is. I've had fundraisers come to me saying, "Oh, got these really good ideas. I want to do this legacy program, etc." And then we talk about, "Have you got budget?" And then they'll try to get budget, and then it goes so far, Mm -hmm. and it might Mm -hmm. go as far as director of fundraising, who then takes it to the board, and then it stops. Mm -hmm. So I'm a great believer in where is the board at. That's the starting point, rather where the fundraiser is at. Right. So. I think for me, it's about, I always ask the question, how supportive is your board of
0: mm. the legacy
1: programme? Yeah. And if I get a direct, oh, super supportive, they'll just give whatever budget to this and we put a plan together and that that's brilliant. Now, if I hear anything around, oh, they're a little bit hesitant, they're not sure, um, because let's face it, we live in a sector where we often are hand to mouth. Mm. and so our fundraising activities basically reflect that so what happens is we go for the quick wins and so it's quite natural that a board is going to think in that way because they're thinking right I'm serving on this board however many years I really don't want to be the last trustee of this charity so we need to bring some money in super quick
0: right
1: (laughs) um so I think there's a lot of that going on as well because often these legacies, as you say, could be coming in way after they've mm. left as a trustee. Um, so really it's about thinking, what is motivating the members on the board to be even beyond the board? Is it about the longevity of the organization or is there some kind of um, personal reason that they're on the board?
0: Mm. So
1: I always want to be in front of a board that's hesitant about legacies. Okay. Because the danger is that we go so far with the program mm. and then it gets pulled, gets stopped because the investment isn't there. Mm. So, in terms of managing expectations, I think you can only work with what you've got. And if you've got a supportive board, it's about saying to them, these are the benefits of legacies to our organization. And these are the benefits to the donor because it's got to be win win. Yeah. And actually, Samuel, when you present that information, it's a no brainer, right?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Absolutely.
1: When you look at the return on investment, mm. it's something like one in 25 for every one pound that you spend. You get 25 pounds. There is no other fundraising size return on investment. Mm. So there's got to be another reason why the board aren't investing. Right? And, and I guess. When you- it-
0: Yes, sorry, Sunita, keep going.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, because you only have to look at other charities that do similar work to you. Mm. And when you look at other charities that are raising money in legacies, then you have to ask yourself, well, why not us? Yeah, and I'm I'm not a fan of plagiarism, but I am a big fan of benchmarking. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about expectations, I think, for example, you know, if you're a very small hospice, you could be looking at another small hospice in a completely different area and seeing what they're getting in terms of legacies and going, well, what, what makes us so different? Mm. And you, what the difference is, is it probably they're talking about legacies? They've got a programme. that They've got an investment. So there's the direct correlation between legacy marketing and legacy donations. We absolutely do know that because otherwise there wouldn't be any legacy fundraisers.
0: And, and how important is it that board members themselves have left a legacy for the charity that they're on the board of? I mean, in the past, we've we've talked about this, this um, I think there's a saying that comes out of the States about uh, trustees. The, the kind of mentality in the state seems to be that board members give Get on or get off, which is that they either are giving to the charity they're a board member of, they're either Ooh. getting people on board to support that charity, right. and if neither of those two are true, then they're out. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I suppose, mm. and we've talked about that. I think with uh, Deborah Alcock Tyler a, a while back about you know when mm-hmm. we we're talking about the board. um I mean, is that something though that you think does that work in charities in terms of encouraging board members to put the charity in their legacy?
1: So what I would say is. Charities, fundraisers and leadership team need to work with their board that is helpful within their organisation. So I don't want to kind of state this is what organisations should do. But there are some things that we should be absolutely clear about, because I think otherwise we get into very um, dangerous waters in terms of donating should feel good,
0: Mm. giving
1: should always feel good, it should be voluntary. And there shouldn't be any obligation whatsoever. Now, the scenario, Samuel, that you're talking about, I think getting a, the board need to get on board or get off. Hmm. If they're told that the very beginning that actually if they're not going to donate or if they're not going to bring people on and use their network in terms of driving the organization, then that's absolutely fine because that's the basis on which they've joined. Mm. So that's managing that expectation. But I think if you've got a board now and you're going to that board and telling them that they should do something, remembering that giving should be voluntary and it should feel good. And do we actually tell our supporters they should be leaving Legacies? or are we actually trying to inspire them to? I'm totally up for asking board members to leave the legacy, but whether they should, I think is also, um, I don't think that's particularly right from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And also what happens when that trustee leaves should they still keep that charity in their will, but they're not mm. on the board anymore? <laughs> you know, and I think anyone that has got a really strong feeling about this it's something that they need to probably work through because I have had fundraisers say that they do think that their board should leave a legacy, and I've then gone, well, have you left a legacy to every charity you've worked for? Sure. You know, And if we're asking other people to do something, it's that thing of people in glass houses. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to be really careful about making people feel bad for something that actually they don't actually have to do. And what we've got to remember is that being on a board is a very big responsibility. People give up their time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a way of giving. And the moment that stops becoming joyful... going back to at the start of our conversation that fundraising should be joyful Mm. we really should be questioning why are we doing this and should we really be asking these questions
0: question Sneed is what are you going to be doing over the coming months on your own podcast, Legacy Fundraising Chat to support charity Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) We're we're into cross pollination here at Charity Ah, Chat. So any anything you can do is great. So what, what are you working on at the moment?
1: Yes. Yeah, so naturally i have got episodes coming out fortnightly, and as I mentioned, we've got one that we're talking about the board, which is episode ten. Um, so next year, I know we're talking about next year, and it's August, but you know, in podcasting, you do have to work
0: Consume very far in the future.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I never said the c word. I never said. It. <laughs> um, so what I want to do is I want to be offering charities some on-air consultancy for free. Mm-hmm. So basically, the criteria is that they've never done a legacy program, they or they've perhaps got a program that's very much dormant. Mm-hmm. They've got an income of less than 3 million. They need to have a supporter base because you've got to have someone to talk to legacies about. Mm-hmm. And that supporter base could be individual giving, community, regular giving, major donors, and what I'm effectively going to do is work through how that charity can build a program. You know, the, the consultancy is thirty minutes. All my episodes are under thirty minutes, so it's obviously not the complete experience of working with me. Yeah. But um, it it it's just there as an offer, and and the idea of doing it online or on air is so sort other. Of fundraisers can benefit from that as well mm. and th- and also they can see the thought process that needs to go behind this planning uh, and not everyone's got time to invest in a one day training program or, or half a day mm. but i'd like to think that all fundraisers have got less than 30 minutes to just kind of listen to an episode like that and and hopefully pick up some ideas and some tips that they can integrate into their own plan
0: fantastic Sunita Gudu, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats.
1: Thank you, Samuel.
0: A big thank you to Sunita Gudu for sharing her insights and expertise with us here on Charity Chats. When people are setting up their will and choosing charities to support once they've gone, the process for doing this, though technically easy... Is emotionally complex. Sunita talks to donors about the impact of their legacy gifts and helps them to focus on the positive change that their promise of a donation when they've gone will help to make. The joy of giving is Sunita's focus and in the context of legacy giving that can also mean the joy for people who are looking back and taking stock of their life and fathoming the future and the world they want for those who remain when they have gone. Sunita made the point that legacy giving needs to be included among other forms of giving, especially when you're talking to a donor. This may give hope to those charities, especially smaller charities, who may not have the capacity to hire specific legacy fundraisers and want to bring that into their existing portfolio. The notion of bringing legacy giving into the portfolio or menu of ways that supporters can lend a hand to causes does open the opportunity for more partial and less invasive and possibly upsetting conversations about legacy giving. The sensitivity that fundraisers need to have around speaking about gifts and wills legacy giving can also be mitigated by focusing on the impact and treating it as one of the many opportunities for supporters to experience the joy of giving. For more information about legacy giving, do check out Sunita's Legacy Fundraising Chat podcast. And also have a look and listen to our previous shows on the subject. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, work for good work for good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksumit, for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And of course, Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye. <laughs>